Anxiety, stress, sleep, asthma, exercise-induced bronchoconstriction are all becoming epidemic in our population, especially in endurance sports. It's time to get control of our nervous system and respiratory performance. The best way to do this is through performance breathing. Two landmark studies have been done. The Framingham study and the study out of Buffalo University discovered that how long you live is primarily determined by how well you breathe. Yet very little is mentioned about breathing in our population. Not only did we at Mountain Wellness develop the methodology for breathing for the mountain athlete in the most demanding environments in the world, we went beyond that with our closed balance system. Testing it on multiple mountain passes at 10, 12, 13, and even on the summit of Mount Whitney multiple times, 14,000 feet. Because if you know how to thrive up there, you will crush your pursuits at 7, 8, 9, and 10,000 feet, reducing mountain sickness, increasing hydration, getting more oxygen delivery. This course covers everything to create the most optimal respiratory performance currently available. Head to mountainwellnesslife.com. Under the tab Courses, you can see the full outline of everything we offer in our online video training course. Whether you want to improve your health and longevity or want the best available strategy for the mountains on race day, we have you covered. Mountain Wellness, optimizing human performance to extend longevity for mountain athletes. What up, mountain athletes? Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Reed, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host and mountain brother, Mr. Mike Mahina. What's going on, my dude? Ah, California to Montana. It's time to talk about the water, because we don't have any in California. Are you guys drying up? Is Dude, it, it's is it nice so and dry. hot out there. It's a hundred degrees, yeah. and it's like a drought emergency, and everything is just. I'm like, the water's just evaporating. When, you know, it's just crazy right now. It's interesting because we've sort of had the opposite in Montana. I mean, we didn't have significant snowpack this year, but we did have a late season. Um, I mean, I don't think we had complete snow melt off until. Um, probably early june it was crazy but we also had a a pretty wet um like early just like june and july so it cut the fire season down or i mean that's awesome it really cut it down but we haven't yeah we haven't had nearly as much smoke because remember last year when we had the butte 100 going and the elkhorn endurance race actually shout out to all of our elkhorn endurance athletes um we had uh, Mountain Wellness was a sponsor this last weekend of the Elkhorn Endurance Race. Um, Helena Ultra Runners League puts that on. So it was amazing. They, I, I guess it ended up being pretty wet because they're up in, you know, the Elkhorn Mountains, right? Basically, like, they the, the trailhead, or I should say the race start was, I don't know, pretty close to the recovery den right here in Montana City. But nice. they get up to, you know, they're... You know, we talked to John um, and Jonathan from Hurl on the previous, I don't know, a couple episodes back about the race, but it's intense. It's like your full-blown mountain run, but from my understanding, it rained pretty good. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, that's an awesome race. And I talked to Kelby for you talked to Kelby, I think, too, one of your athletes there at the den that, that uh, does did the race, and Mike did it too, right? Mike and, and Brian. Yeah, the Elliott brothers crushed it. They did the 50 miler. Um, I'm excited to get Kelby on the show. Um, I sat down with Kelby. I mean, we planned it out. We we did pretty strategic fueling um, going into it. Like we had a whole plan. Helped him with his uh, some of his training. Um, so we're gonna get Kelby on because I know awesome. he gets a lot of mention on the show. <laughs> so I, I feel like the listeners need to get a, a voice, place a voice with the the Kelby we're talking about all the time. Uh, so I'm excited about today's show. Um, as Mike mentioned, we got, uh, we got, well, I guess, are they considered watermen? I guess they'd be a waterman professional kayaker, freestyle kayaker. I'm starting to learn that from what I understand is a water. (laughs) No, no, no. It's cool. A waterman from what I'm gathering, because this is all new to me is that they are multi. Yeah talented in terms of they can, they can do multi things like spearfish uh ride big waves they just they're just well-rounded in terms yeah. of surfing and and uh they do all the things they in the have, water they have gills and uh webbing in between the feet <laughs> they have gills and webbing. <laughs> pretty much dude they're on the water all the time but yeah nick is nick no, is so t- today we got uh, yeah, professional freestyle kayaker, which is just insanity. I think personally, I think it's um, it's definitely up there with you know something like big wave surfing as far as the extreme level. Uh, these guys are bombing like eighty foot freaking waterfalls, and when I had my sight, I just remember like watching it and just being in disbelief of like, how do you pull something like that off? Uh, but why don't you go ahead and share how we met Nick, like? How, you know your story because you have an interesting story i think you you guys connected in a really interesting way uh mike was down down by the river with his 400 millimeter shooting some some action shots and that's that's how we initially kind of met nick yeah well i i think what's interesting when you're at the gopro games is it, it can be chaotic because a lot of people a lot of things going on uh and so when you look through the lens of a camera it, it, it helps you isolate subjects and isolate people and things and so i was down by the river's edge down at, by the bridge and and nick was in the water and he was doing i think he was practicing he was doing some just practicing his tricks and just out there having fun and uh yeah so looking through the lens i just started snapping shots and i'm, and I'm seeing him go completely underwater just upside down and i'm thinking you know even even if it's just for a few seconds it's got to be a just a gnarly rush to be under fast moving water yeah. and then just pop back up and 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 have your bearings and know where you are and, and and you know so there's a lot there's a lot going on in those few seconds and so but everything was funny because every time he'd paddle away from that that area where he was doing the tricks he'd have to paddle around and then he'd come right by me and he yeah. was always grinning ear to ear like he couldn't have been happier in the water. And that's, I think that's what struck me is like, this guy is so happy to be out there. And, you know, I, I wonder if you always see that in pro athletes and pro kayakers, pro watermen, because there's so much pressure on those guys to perform and get results. And there's pressures of the games and, and, and sponsors. And I always wonder if, if they really are enjoying it. Cause you know, we've talked to a few people that it's, that it's, that there's yeah. real pressure there and he loved it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what I appreciate so much that came out in this conversation with Nick is like you can tell that it, it's a true passion for him going back, yeah, you know, to his childhood and stuff, and and being 
a six-time national champion, one-time world champion. It's like, like you said, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, especially after you hold a national title um, or even a world title for that matter. But you can just tell that uh, Nick just genuinely enjoys what he does and um, and, and especially it, it loves sharing it with uh, kind of passing it on because they come, I mean, you talk about a family of kayakers, like it's incredible. Right, I believe his wife is in the part of the Jackson family. I think it's Emily. I believe it's Emily Jackson, and, and of course they're yeah. they're they're legendary legendary in, in the kayaking world. So he's yeah, in the so right place. I think his wife's professional kayaker. His grandfather. His you know in laws. Like it's so uh, parents. Or I mean, I'm sorry. His kids are just growing up with you know professional athletes. Uh, it, it, pretty cool. Um, so. This was just a really good conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, we just enjoyed connecting with them out of GoPro games and um, even more so now getting getting in Nick's head, learning more about what he does and sort of the mindset, what it takes to bomb off an 80-foot waterfall. So should we go have a conversation with Nick? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. Nick. Troutman, welcome to the Mountain Wellness Podcast. We're so stoked to have you here, man. Awesome. Well, thanks, Corey. I'm I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, we had a great time meeting you at, at the games, and I know Corey. We wanted to catch up with you again and just just talk about all the things you're doing. Yeah, I have to say, like, um, you know, we really we had uh, an amazing time at the GoPro mountain games out in Vail, uh, first week of June. And we connected with a lot of people, but, uh, Nick, you really, uh, uh, we really connected with you. Uh, I think on a deeper level, there was a lot of commonality. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, we're really interested to talk about you being uh six time world champion freestyle kayaker. Uh, and then no, that's that's actually my brother-in-law. I'm only one time. I'm only a single. My wife's like three or four. I should probably get that right one of these days. Uh, and then my brother-in-law, he's like six times. And actually, I think we actually went to the world championships post uh, Vale, and he won again. So I don't even know. He might be like, I think he's like four time in the pro men's and then he's got like a couple junior titles and then a couple other like C1 and OC1. So I think it's like nine times total, but uh, four in the senior men's. Um, but yeah, I'm only one in the senior men's. Sorry, Corey. I'm like such a letdown in comparison. No, 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 no. no. Mike, I like how he says only one, <laughs> like <laughs> only one. Um, what it takes to become yeah. a world champion, Mike and I have no idea. So we're excited to talk about that today. Um, and I think that's a great place to start. You, know, you mentioning that your brother uh, is six-time world champion. Um, it sounds like kayaking and and the water was a, a big part of your youth. So where did you grow up? And right, yeah. So I I grew up um, on in a small town called Beachburg, Ontario. Just uh, the Ottawa River is is the closest river. And for those non kayakers out there. <clears throat> um, the Ottawa is essentially like the Whistler Blackcomb of freestyle kayaking. It's oh, just this phenomenal river uh, with incredible, incredible waves and 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 rapids and just awesome white water that really bodes well for freestyle kayaking, especially big wave surfing, but but freestyle kayaking as a whole. And it's somewhat of a of a mecca. 
for freestyle kayaking. And I had no clue of any of this growing up. And when I was about 13 or 14, right before high school, my best friend, um, was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to hang out this much this summer. I'm going to go try kayak school at my at my parents' kayak school because his uh, his family owns the largest rafting company, Wilderness Tours, up here on the Ottawa River. And so I was kind of bummed. I was like, oh, bummer, because, you know, I'm ready for a whole summer hanging out with my best friend, and now he's, like, going to be gone yeah. doing some kayaking camp or <laughs> something like that. And he was like, well, you can come try it with me. And I was like, okay. And I was pretty open just because, um, I wanted to go hang out with my friend and, and I kind of thought of kayaking as probably most people have, especially if you've never seen it. Like if you weren't at the GoPro mountain games or something, you think of probably old, like long pointy boats that meander or float <laughs> downstream, right? Like, like that's what most people think of as kayaking. And so I showed up and there was these like small freestyle kayaks and the instructors were like doing flips and tricks and surfing. And I was just like, I was like, what, this is what kayaking is. I was blown away. Um, and I, yeah, I, I totally fell in love with the sport probably within, you know, 15 minutes of sitting in a kayak and, and that was, uh, almost 20 years ago and I, I really haven't left. So yeah, equally as, uh, in love with the sport as I was, when I was 13 and uh, a lot of adventures along the way in the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, so. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And it was, it truly was um, somewhat of an, ad- an addiction. Like I, I just, I was so obsessed, maybe ob- obsessed is a better word than addiction, but I was just like, it's all I could think, eat, dream, sleep, talk about. Like, it's just, it, it really, it was a full on obsession. Um, probably still is, uh, equally as full on obsession. And obviously I've kind of, uh, revolved my life around the sport of kayaking. And I mean, my, like I said earlier, my, my wife is a multi-time world champion. Uh, we're teaching our kids to kayak. Like it's definitely a big part of my life. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it fostered from from this deep seated obsession as a, as a thirteen year old kid that just thought it was super cool. So I'm curious, <laughs> and I, I saw that thirteen year old kid. <laughs> I saw him at the GoPro games. I, I get down to the water's edge with my 400 millimeter, and I'm looking through it, and I'm watching him kayak, and he's just so happy in the water. Like you know, I, I always think, and you're doing action sports. Can you smile when you're in the middle of it? Like, I don't know if that's because, you know, you're, you're in the middle of it. And he was so happy out there. And I was like, I got to know more. I didn't know who you were at all. I had no idea that, you know, what you were at the games. I knew you were part of it, but I just didn't well, know. I, one. So I would imagine really, there's uh, levels. I, I do have a question um, related to like the beginning. So I'm raising my boys. We're in, in Southwest Montana here in Helena. And uh, I grew up in SoCal. And in Southern California, like growing up surfing and every other house on the street had a pool, like water was a big part of my life. Um, but now raising my boys in Montana, I'm, I'm, it's, it's harder to get them exposed to the water. So what was that? Like, was that a challenge for you first? Like, did you grow up in the water? Did you have experience in the water? Because the way, like for me personally, when I, uh, when I look at, kayaking um as an action sport i think it compares to like when i think of the most extreme action sports i really think of big wave surfing and i also think of freestyle kayaking 
because some of the the risk that's involved and in, in, especially with how powerful water is what what was that like for you um were you comfortable in water or was that something you had to work through just growing up in in canada <laughs> so a couple different questions in there Corey. but yeah. uh but was i comfortable in water so i'm going to tell you guys uh, a secret that won't, well, I was going to say very few people know this, but now I'm going to be saying it on a podcast, so I'm, a lot more people will know this. Um, <clears throat> I grew, I grew up um, kind of scared of the water. I was mm-hmm. scared of swimming. I had just a fear of it. I don't know why. And uh, I also kind of had this weird fear of heights. And so I kind of laugh at myself now when I go off waterfalls and, and all this stuff as, <laughs> in, in the sense of like, I've clearly, you know, taken the fear head on and just gone for it. Um, and so... Yeah, I liked water, but mm-hmm. I was always kind of affair, uh, afraid of it. We had like a, a uh, an above water pool in our backyard growing up as a as a child, um, and so we spent you know a lot of time swimming in the pool and stuff yeah. like that. But it was just like, yeah, I was always so that it was know, just progressive. Kind of it was just getting in, getting to know, like getting the paddle on your hands, experiencing kayaking, and then it, I would imagine imagine it just became a progressive. Um, like your skill just get better and better and better along with uh yeah the type of water you were riding it just progressed over time there, there's an interesting psychology behind facing your fear because i have a friend of mine who we do mount whitney we've done it twice now and he's terrified of heights and so mm-hmm. when we get to the to the pinnacles a certain area where it's just thousands of feet down and in, in, in all directions he, you know, his legs buckle and he's just, he, every time he looks at that section, he's like, I'm not doing this. And it's this whole thing. And then he goes out and he crosses it. And I wonder, you know, what's that, what that's like for you. It had to empower you after you started really getting into the water. It's like, okay, I faced this fear and now I'm pretty comfortable out here. Yeah. I, <clears throat> so, the, you know, this is going to turn into a whole like psychological, uh, <laughs> Um, like I'm going to lay on the couch and, and tell you guys all my childhood fears. Um, but, but, uh, when I was a kid, Mike, I had, I don't know why I had nightmares a lot as a kid. Um, and for whatever reason I was, I was scared of a lot of things. I was afraid of the dark and, and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, and eventually as a, I don't even remember how old I would have been, but sometime in my childhood, I was tired of having nightmares and these fears all the time. That one time when I was dreaming, I was like running away from, I don't know, monsters or the dark or something like that. And I just decided in my mind when I'm still asleep, you know, I'm done running. I'm done I'm going to just turn around and face my fears and we'll just, we'll see what happens. You know, if monster's going to eat me, then so be it, but I'm done running. <laughs> and, uh, and I turn around and you know, the, the, whatever was chasing me just like disappears and, and I woke up really? and it was like a clearly a life changing, you know, moment for me as a child, because it somewhat stuck with me where, uh, the idea of fear, you know, nowadays I, I, I use the abbreviation like false evidence appearing real. Um, and so when I have fear and I still have fear all the time, uh, I, I try to face those fears and, and 
uh, I talk about and and realize now that there's a difference between fear and danger. Mm-hmm. Fear being, you know, mm. something that's in the head, danger being something that's, you know, real and trying to know the difference. Um, but but to face those fears as well and to really just analyze risk um, and figure out like, okay, what am I afraid of? And is that, you know, a real tangible scenario or is that just like a very slight unlikely outcome and therefore I really should just face the fear, go for it, uh, and minimize, you know, all the risks, uh, possible or whatever. But I mean, like, so when we're, if we were to compare this to, to running a waterfall, we, you get out and you scout the waterfall, right? So you get out of your boat upstream, you look at the waterfall and you're really just trying to analyze, okay, the first thing I'll look at is what are the possible worst case scenarios here? Is there, is there like a, you know, an under, in, uh, an undercut rock or a cave or something where like, I really don't want to go into essentially like somewhere that you go in and you don't come out. So you try to avoid those places. Then it's like, okay, are there there any like sharp rocks? Are there any, you know, trees, strainers, anything else that I could get, you know, messed up in? And if there are, then, you know, I'll figure out like, okay, is it easy to avoid those? Um, is there a line that I can easily go in a different direction or the current's taking me in a, in a safe route? Or if there aren't those in the first place, then it's like, okay, so sweet. I've, I've analyzed the risk uh, and any dangers. I see that it's not that risky. It's not that dangerous in the sense of like life-threatening. And then then I'll look at like where the actual line is like, okay, where do I want to go? Where's the current going to take me? Uh, like essentially just the, the line that you'd pick, like if you were skiing down a mountain or, or where you're aiming for like on a big wave face or something like that. Um, and then, and then what's left, like after you've kind of analyzed the risks, analyzed any real dangers, figured out the lines, figure out like, what's my likelihood of me being able to get there? Um, in the sense of like, is my skill level good enough to make that line? And then what's left is just kind of the fear of, I call them again, like the demons of the mind, but uh, I, then you've just got to face it and you're like, okay, well, I feel confident that I've got the skills to make that line. I've analyzed the risks. I've analyzed the dangers. I'm either comfortable uh, avoiding them or they're not really there in any like real dangerous scenario. So all that's left is fear and I'm just going to go for it now. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like this weird mental game that I play all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I guess it really, you know, thinking back, it probably stems back to that, to that childhood decision of like turning around and facing whatever monsters were in my nightmares. Well, it's interesting. Well, you've separated to like, you mentioned, you know what I mean? Yeah, for for sure. Well, and it sounds like you're between person. What is this a real fear or is this just, uh, is this a real danger or is this just my personal obsession of the stories I tell myself? I think that's the, the way you separate it is really a great a way to approach well, it. And, and kayaking yeah, sorry, and Mike's like, I haven't kayaked, but Mike, you know, like snowboarding was, was my sport. I surfed and skated as well, but snowboarding is one that I really always gravitated towards and enjoyed the most. Um, and, and <clears throat> since I lost my sight and my leg, I have snowboarded and I've done other action sports, but I always compare it to like, you know, looking at snowboarding versus rock climbing, like snowboarding, uh, which is very similar to kayaking in the sense is like you, you have your, 
your skill set. Like you, you know, you, you know, your skill, uh, then you assess the terrain. Um, and then you sort of like prioritize just like Nick is saying, um, once you commit and you send it, then you sort of like, you go into this flow state and all those sort of what ifs or fears are not even relevant because you're just, and Nick, you might be familiar with Stephen Kotler's work, the flow Geno project. Uh, uh, he did a book called the rise of Superman and yeah, one of my favorite books. Yeah, yeah I right, love that book. Right, and, and the me too. And one of the biggest things, like the biggest takeaway, growing up as an action sports athlete, that was the one thing that Stephen and his group figured out was like that. There's if there's any individual that understands flow or or is able to put themselves in flow state, it's action sports <clears throat> athletes because the risk is the it hmm. is death. Like ultimately, like if you go, you know, huck it off of a you know, half pipe doing, you know, crazy rodeos or, you know, sending it off some 70 foot waterfall. Like there's a lot of risk involved in that. So you, you have to have your style during that flow state. Um, and that's why, you know, going back to the beginning, I said that like freestyle kayaking and some of the things you guys are doing is I think of it as, um, I know big wave surfing a little bit better as far as, you know, what those, the, the mental game, uh, it takes and, and you just explained it so well um, because it, it does. It just comes down to, all right, like I, I know my skills there. Uh, I assessed the, the terrain, the water, and now it's time to just go for it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Corey. Uh, I, I, on my podcast, I talk about the flow state a lot. I've, that's another mm. like, somewhat obsession that I have is just the flow state and, and uh, the mental side of sports and life in general, too. Mm. I find it. Very intriguing, but, but, uh, so one, I love that book, the rise of Superman, um, and everything that they talk about in all the different sports and athletes and types of flow. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned, Corey was, was about just the different types of sport. And I think it was, I'd have to try to pull up the article. I read an article that I think a writer, I don't know if it was for, uh, the red bulletin or, or where that article was. I'll try and pull it up and send it to you guys. Um, but there was a, a writer that went and did, uh, essentially like, a a Red Bull summit with a whole bunch of athletes, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of Red Bull athletes that were ah. different athletes in different sports. And, um, and they went and raced cars around a racetrack. And he said it was very interesting to see how the different athletes, um, respond to racing a car. Cause in a car, you know, the faster you drive, obviously, it, well, it's the flow, but it's it's how things come at you so quickly, right? Yeah, um, there's a, a lot of reactive stuff. A lot of reactive, yeah. And so the the of all the athletes, it was the big or the the big mountain snowboarders and the big mountain skiers and the kayakers and the whitewater kayakers that were actually driving the fastest. And I don't know, you know, I would imagine in my personal experience that the big wave surfers are equally in there. Um, I don't know if they either didn't have any big wave surfers at this summit or what the deal was, but this was his article and he said it was the big mountain skiers and snowboarders and the whitewater kayakers that were driving the fastest and had the fastest, essentially, um, decision-making capabilities. That makes sense. And to me, go ahead. Sorry, Nick. No, I was just going to say for, for me, you know, it, it makes perfect sense too, because and it's a huge draw for me why I love whitewater kayaking is that when you're out there, just like on a big uh, big wave or big mountain skiing, 
you're in it. You're like, once you pull out of the current, pull out of the eddy into the rapids, you've now, your options are, you know, dealing with whatever mother nature and the river throws at you and dealing with it as quickly as you That's can. That's it. Yep. And so it like, you turn onto this like lightning fast decision-making skills, whereas like rock climbing it's much slower and more calculated and nothing against rock climbing. I love rock climbing and, and those athletes are phenomenal in every, in every respect for them, but they can like pause yep. and make the decision. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and figure Absolutely. out exactly and, and analyze where that next move is, which is a very different experience in kayaking. Cause like you, we joke about it, but we say like the only constant in the river is that there are no constants in the sense that the river is, continually changing, changing. Yeah. It, like a half pipe on a skateboard it's a constant right it's always going to be the same half pipe every drop in but every time you drop into a rapid it's going to be a little bit different the wave breaks differently wow. the curler happens differently the the whirlpool or the currents hit you differently and so um the ocean i imagine is is very similar in that regard too that it's continually changing um but so you you're you're forced into these scenarios where all you have is quick decision making skills, um, and I think actually that same writer who was writing about those athletes he also kayaked and snowboarded and and did all these different sports too and he said that you know in the springtime when he's when he's in kayak mode and and running class five and stuff like that um, when his sunglasses fall off his head he's grabbing them before they hit the floor. But then when he's back into like summer mode or something like that or fall or whatever, uh, it, he's more likely that the sunglasses hit the floor because he's not in that same that same uh, kind of fast decision making skill. Um, it's that reaction time. Yeah, and so anyway, to kind of just add on to what you're talking about, like relating it to that big wave surfing or big mountain skiing or anything like that. I think it's just the, those environments where you're forced into you you deal with what you know, mother nature throws at you immediately and, and there are, there's no time to pause and think. And for me, that's where that flow state really kicks in. Um, Mm. because there is no like analysis. It's like, I don't remember if it's in rise of Superman or not, or cause I've, I've read a couple different books on flow and I, and I just love the subject, but somebody explained it to me one time, um, as essentially flow state is like, you've got the, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind and the conscious mind is, you know, when we're thinking and analyzing and that's like, I don't know, 2% of our, of our cognitive power. And the subconscious mind is way, way, way more powerful. And when we get into these life or death or perceived life or death scenarios, um, anything that, that, you know, the subconscious mind deems as risky, it will like take over. It'll kick out the conscious mind and is like, this is too risky. You're too slow. We're now taking over. And that's why a lot of these flow states, you feel like you're just better than you normally are. You're like, I don't know why, but I was just, all of my skills were heightened. All of my senses were heightened. Mm -hmm. I was just all around better. And I was making moves that I usually don't make or make that consistently. Um, and I think it has to do with the fact that the subconscious kind of just takes that over and you're better. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. That makes oh yeah. You're, you're hitting some me. good yeah. ones. One of my other favorite books is the power of the subconscious mind. Um, and I'm tra- I'm blanking on who wrote it, but, uh, Dr. Um, uh, I'll get it in the show notes, but exactly what you're talking about. The other thing that comes to mind as you're explaining it with my background, you know, being in snowboarding and, and 
some of these more, you know, flow type of sports is speed. I think that maybe speed facilitates more of a flow state because if you think of, uh, um, you know, uh, in your case, like going down a river with lots of, of rapids and obstacles, you're scout, you're, you're, you're scouting your line. You know, we do the same thing in snowboarding, skiers, all that. Like if you're, especially if you're going through for something gnarly, it's like, all right, I'm going to cut, you know, toe side down through that chute. As soon as I hit that part, I'm going to switch back heel side. Um, but once you commit, once you send it, you're, it, the speed sort of now it's just reactive, but you're sco- you're you're scanning ahead of your line, so it's almost like the moves you're making are have already been thought about seconds beforehand. It's like so it, I feel like the speed facilitates flow. Does that make sense? Versus like rock climbing, where it's very methodical. Like okay, we need to climb this next pitch. We got to set up this rig. We got to get the the you know the three climbers up. Um, and it's very slow. Yeah. It's it's and slow. that's when the more conscious mind takes over. Yeah, because you have time to think. About. Yeah, the conscious mind takes over, dude. Totally. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and, and to cl- to clarify as well, I would never say that you know that rock climbers don't get in the flow state. I I, I would uh, I'd be shooting myself in the foot if I was to ever say something like that. Because again, those athletes are are amazing, especially you know the big wall climbers and and, uh, and it's almost now those guys doing free climbing. It's mind blowing. Totally, it's almost. Um, um, more impressive and, with their flow state because like because it ha- they have to slow down they can analyze the risk because because they're hanging out they're just hanging themselves out there versus like yeah. you know you drop down some gnarly waterfall and and uh once you make it through you're like damn that was gnarly like i didn't even have time to think yeah. about what was going on because i was just completely reacting and was set up for it i love that yeah, but in the beginning of the conversation, you said you you analyze it as much as you can, and then you literally have to push it aside because you're like, I've already done that work, and mm-hmm. now I'm just going to react. And so right. you've done what you can do, and now it's only reaction because there's no time for fear. I can't think about anything else but getting through this situation. Well, yeah, and that, that, that's the cool part is that you get this feeling like, or at least for me, when I when I peel out of, of the eddy, so you've got again, these demons of the mind or this fear that's in my mind, um, the doubt, I guess, that's continually nagging. That's that's all going on when I'm scouting, when I'm out of the boat or I'm looking at the rapid or even when I'm sitting in my boat, like in the eddy, that doubt is all there. But as soon as I peel out and I'm in the current, yes. it literally just disappears. Yeah. And now it, it's right. like, it dissipates and now you're just in in the flow like in the literal flow mm-hmm. of the river but also it's like turning into that flow state where now you're forced into well i can't be thinking about the doubt and the fear now all <laughs> no i'm doing time. is thinking about the line yep. and, and reacting with whatever you know comes my way and that passion um, comes back right you're like yeah it's t- it's game on like oh yeah that, that same feeling yeah, exactly. you had game when on. the boat yeah. the first time right <laughs> as a kid yeah, a hundred percent. That's awesome. Yeah, what what you were talking about, Corey, too, about that, like the speed aspect. Um, I definitely, I mean, I, that's a, a huge draw towards you know me and kayaking, and mm-hmm. it's the same when I get on skis or something like that. Like <laughs> I really like going fast, and then when in a car too, I got to be careful. Yeah, because you and sometimes me both. I like going too fast, but yeah, but but that speed it. it it forces those quick decisions. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's mm-hmm. like part of the draw towards some of these, um, you know, so-called extreme sports or adventure sports or outdoor sports, however you want to kind of deem them. But, um, 
it just forces you into those decision-making skills that that we don't necessarily always get in everyday life. And and it also, it essentially puts your skills to the test, I was just right? going to because... say that, like it exhibits the true form of athleticism because when you have to, re- you're more reactive, um, and we're picking on rock climbers, but not that rock climbing doesn't take athletic ability. Uh, but when you look yeah. at the definition I mean, of athleticism, should... it's like being able to move fluidly through all planes of motion. Um, essentially, it's like just moving fluidly and knowing where your body is in space at all times. And you think about you know uh, these different speed or, or fast pace flow sports. Um, I think it exhibits... Yeah, and I, I would... I would almost even say, Corey, that like instead of picking on the rock climbers, because you know I think of them as equally getting into that flow state and and thinking about it right now. A great example is um, when we go to turn on a light switch, right? Mm-hmm. When you walk over to walk across the room to flick on a light switch, it's the subconscious mind that's doing all of that. Like you're in your mind, you're thinking. I'm going to walk across the room and flick on that light switch. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking, okay, I'm going to put all my weight onto my left calf. Then I'm going to extend (laughs) my right, my right foot forward. (laughs) My weight will be distributed over my right foot. Now I'm going to angle my ankle down a little bit and my pressure's going onto the tips of my toes and the balls of my feet. Then I'm putting pressure on my heel. Now I'm transferring weight onto my right foot and extending my, my left thigh forward. Like that would be the conscious mind of like how slow we think of like step by step by step. Whereas like the conscious mind is just like, I'm going to walk over and I'm going to flick the switch with my hand yep. uh, instead of all the like muscle movements and and the weight distributions and all that stuff. So that's like in my mind, the the difference of conscious mind versus subconscious mind Mm. conscious mind is like way too analytical and slow and like um it it thinks of too many things and it like clogs up all the steps because it's thinking too much whereas the subconscious mind it's like you just tell it i'm gonna do that and it just does it right and so so i think rock climbing's probably similar where you know the the alex honnells or or whoever like the best of the best those guys are just thinking I see the route yeah, and I'm just going to sure. climb the route They're, instead of like, I'm going to extend all my weight onto this pinky, you know, or, or jug or what, like whatever that I'm doing here. They're just thinking, well, I'm just going to do it. And they just do it. And, and so that's, I'm sure that they get a very similar flow state in the sense that they're pushing themselves into that subconscious, uh, like the less analytical version. Yeah. Um, but there's so many ways that we could go about it. And, and to clarify too, I mean, you hear people that get into, you know, flow state in, in sciences and math and music and all sorts of different things. It just Mm. seems to be that in all the studies that I've read on anyway, that, and, and the rise of Superman is a great book that really kind of um, you know, dives deep into this single aspect is that the extreme sports or the m- more so-called risky sports, they jump into that flow state quicker because there is that whole part of risk. And, and from the studies, they think anyway, which makes perfect sense to me, that that perceived risk helps the subconscious mind kick in faster because it's like, well, 
I have to take over control as the subconscious mind. Like I have to kick the conscious mind out or else, you know, life is on the line. Right. Um, whereas like right. you probably don't get this, that same takeover in the same way in music. Like it's, it's probably a different lead up into it. Right. Because you don't have that, that immediate fear. Whereas like, um, base jumping, right. You can be on the edge of the cliff and I'm guessing, I don't base jump, but I'm guessing as soon as you jump off, it's like almost an <laughs> right, immediate right. switch into flow state because yep. that that subconscious mind is like, yep, we're falling off a cliff now. You conscious mind, we're kicking you out and I'm now taking over and flying us down safely. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of just, that's kind of the idea of why flow seems to be more prevalent in these kind of like, again, so-called extreme sports. Yeah, it almost like accelerates it because I can't remember. It's been so while, so so long since I read it, but it, it's a certain uh, cocktail of neuroreceptors in the brain and, and certain brain waves that put that basically put us in flow state. And yeah, there's basically you can reach flow state in anything you're doing, like knitting or playing chess. Um, but I think the action sports definitely uh, push you a little bit um, quicker into that state, especially if you have the, the training and um, the skill set to experience it because it's going to be the opposite. Well, if you don't have the skill set, you, you put me into a kayak and send me down a waterfall. <laughs> I, I would not be in flow state. <laughs> so, and I think that's a good transition kind of into uh, the training. Like, so you, we've, yeah. you know, we've talked about waterfalls. Um, I think every, all of our listeners have seen, you know, at some point in their life, uh, if they don't have experience kayaking or have seen freestyle kayaking, they've probably seen some videos of you guys drop in those gnarly lines and waterfalls. Like, how do you get, like, what is the process of getting to that point? Or la actually, let me ask two questions. What's the biggest drop you've ever done? What's the biggest waterfall? And then two, how did you get to the point where you're like, I'm ready to start taking it to that level? <laughs> Well, so it's a slow progression, right? Um, but but yeah. So the biggest waterfall I have done is probably around the like eighty foot range Holy somewhere. Oh man! Um, wow! Dang. Now <laughs> it sounds it sounds huge, and it, I mean it's decent. You know what I mean? Like eighty feet's pretty big. But That's high. like one of my best friends, um, he's done like one hundred and eighty six. Oh um, and oh, so man. so like it's it's. You know, 80 feet is nothing to to laugh at, but at the same point, it's it's not like even close to the record in our sport. Um, there's definitely people going, you know, a fair amount higher. Well, and I'd be crying if I was going over 80 feet, just so you know. <laughs> well, you'd be scared upstream up for sure. Um, but at least I am anyway. But um, but the lead up, like what does it take to, to train? I mean, it's like anything, you know you hear skiers going off an 80 foot cliff Well, it's, they're not doing yeah. that after one week of, uh, of ski camp. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think and, what I'm asking too is like, cause you got, I mean, you obviously started, I would imagine competing at a young age. Uh, we know, I would imagine like world cups and in the competitive series is, doesn't have a lot of waterfalls. It seems like, is that a, a, a pursuit that's more free riding? Um, it, it, or is that yeah. a con yeah yeah that so 
No, you're correct. That there's not really that many events based around waterfalls. The freestyle, there's there are races like there's uh, extreme races and stuff like that where you're racing down steep rapids, mm-hmm. um, and some of them actually do have waterfalls, um, but they're not racing down like eighty foot waterfalls. Right. They're you know, um, I'm trying to think that. The highest vertical drop in a race is probably, you know, in the like 20 foot range, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but that's as far as racing goes, that's kind of where you want to go. And and there's also there's reasons for that, too, where when landing waterfalls, you know, you want different angles. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you're landing an 80 foot waterfall, you want to be going Straight. nose first. Yeah. You want to be plugging it in like a log would go, you know, off wow. the waterfall because that's going to be the least amount of impact on your body. Right. Whereas um, the other, there's yeah. another term that we call like boofing where you're like Belly launching flopping, out basically. and landing pretty flat. Yeah. It, kind, oh. kind of like a belly flop, but it's like you're you're landing flat, and you would do that for racing because you're going to skip out a lot faster, uh, and so it'll be a faster line. Um, but if you start doing that over 20 feet, it's uh, it's it can hurt the back. And uh, I, I say the tailbone might take something on that one. Yeah, know, yeah, but... the whole spinal cord really. So yeah. and your neck. So I wouldn't for anybody out there. I don't really advise boofing anything. You know, over 20 feet. Um, <laughs> I've done it. It hurts. So yeah. D- but so that's probably another reason why, you know, the races, the extreme races aren't going, you're not racing over huge vertical drops. Um, it's more like challenging rapids and steep rapids. And sometimes they'll put gates in there to like make you have to do specific moves and stuff like that. But the freestyle aspect is, is a lot different. Um, there's a combination of like holes, like which are these kind of small recirculating hole. Um, and then there's, there's waves and, and the waves usually are, are kind of bigger. Um, and we get in the international circuit, you get 45 seconds and you get just like in skateboarding, like each trick has a, a set the amount points. of points that it's yeah. worth. And that's kind of set by uh, how technical it is. And then you get like an air bonus or a huge bonus or a clean bonus if you're doing it. Um, and yeah, you've got 45 seconds to rack up as, as many points as you can. And so that's kind of like the, the competition side of it in freestyle. Um, and they're, they're pretty different. They're pretty different aspects of the sport. I would think of it a lot like the difference between, you know, half pipe in snowboard versus, you know, big mountain in a snowboard, both you're on a snowboard, both the whole time. And, and there's some athletes that do both, but it's a different kind of skill set for each. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And, and maybe again, maybe that's not the best example. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe it would even be like sport climbing or like bouldering versus like, um, big wall climbing or something like that. Like, I don't even know if that's a better analogy or not, but they're definitely, they're definitely like different aspects of the same sport. Totally. Um, I'm thinking of even like kind of terrain park, freestyle terrain park versus just open mountain riding, you know? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot, a lot different. So it's uh so GoPro mountain games, that was like your real, like atypical freestyle competition, uh, with the, as far as the water goes and everything, or is that like, where did that land on? Yeah. 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 That, that would be, that'd be pretty, that would be a pretty typical kind of like hole for freestyle. Um, so you, you see a lot of the, what we call like the loopy tricks, which is like a front flip. So there's like a, a just a normal front flip. You got like a 180 front flip, a 360 front flip, and then different variations of, of a lot of like 
front front flips and back flips. Um, whereas once you get out on a wave, it's a little bit different. You'll have different rotations. So you'll do, um, you'll do a lot more barrel rolls, like a kick flip. And then you start doing like different inversions. Like a, a helix is like a 360. So um, yeah. So, uh, just the the different features uh open up kind of different possibilities for different rotations for the most part yeah yeah that makes sense my my mind is my conscious mind is still stuck on the 80 foot drop <laughs> and i have a quick question uh, so the nose hits the water mm-hmm. and and you're you're going to go underwater i don't know how far that is you can probably let us know and then what is the goal once you've hit that water and you're underwater what are you trying to what are you trying to do like what's the- um so there's kind of there's two so yeah again to clarify you're rolling off the lip you're trying on like an 80 foot waterfall or, or anything okay. of higher than you know 20 to 30 feet um you're yeah. really trying to put it nose first and and there's a thing that we call we tuck so you're doing like a pike position where you're actually tucking your your body forward and and um putting your head like towards the cockpit rim versus leaning <laughs> all the way all the way back so, um, Interesting. in like uh diving or something like that, yep. you call that like a pike position, um, where you're like, you're leaning towards your legs. And so you're trying to get as streamlined as possible. So you've got the least amount of, uh, impact on your body and, gotcha. and you're in that vertical position so that you have the least amount of impact on your spine, uh, is mm-hmm. the other part. And then for once you hit, yeah, sorry. What just real quick. So what for the listeners and myself, what are you the kayak itself are you cinched into it like it, how does that work like are you are you actually tied in yeah you're yeah well you're not t- you're not tied in uh we, we we wouldn't advise that but but you're uh you, the outfitting think of it like snowboard boots and a snowboard or, or ski boots and a skis like you want to be pretty tight do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and you don't want when you know when the pros are are running big mountain skis they've got their bindings on tight so that their skis aren't falling off right it's the same idea with the kayak where you're never tied in but you're you're um you're cinched in pretty tight so that nothing's going to, you don't want to be falling out of your kayak. So is that the at your waist? Yeah. Is it like a, some type of cinch thing at your waist? Cause I, I feel like I've heard someone yeah, say there's got, a release cord or something. Is that like a skirt or something? Oh, so that's, that's different. So, uh, just as far as the outfitting goes, you've got like a back band and you've got like foot rests and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that kind of like tightens you into the boat right. and you've got hip pads. And so you're fully, you're fully padded like inside so that everything's pretty tight. Uh, like a, like a ski boot or something like that. The pull cord that you're thinking of is, is your skirt and that's your exit. So the skirt goes around the cockpit rim and that keeps all the water out and it, uh, it keeps the, the kayak dry. Um, and then the pull cords kind of like you're in a, your, uh, emergency shoot in a, in a skydive or in a base jump, but you can't get out like, of it unless you pull that cord. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get out of it until you pull the cord. That sounds for like sure. tied into me, um, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no bricks tied to your wood or anything, but it's just, it's, <laughs> it's a little different. That's gnarly. Um, you gotta be able to reach that pull cord. I mean, all. enough for it to creep in but your yeah. head a little bit. Like, all right, like if I go down this waterfall and I got to pull this cord, like, wait, wait, yeah, go. I, I want to hear where he's at now that he's gone underwater <laughs> on this 80 foot drop. Like what happens next? Where's yeah. the pull cord? No, yeah. but what happens next? So, um, so on impact, there's kind of, I'd be, I should really run a study sometime and ask, uh, some different athletes what they do, but the two, 
the two methods that I've essentially practiced and, and I go back and forth and I'll tie tell you what I use nowadays, but, um, are to either tighten up really tight, like, um, and, and essentially prepare for a hit. And so you're, you're flexing all your muscles like you would if like, you know, you're preparing for someone to punch you in the gut or something like that Uh, or take an impact like a car crash or whatever. You're like tight. And so, um, that's one way to do it. The other way is to go like essentially go limp. Like you just let, let all your muscles go extremely soft so, so that it, it will ragdoll you, but when it ragdolls you, you're not going to like pull a muscle necessarily. Right. Um, right. Fighting. And because the water's so powerful, even if you do tighten up, it's still, you know, a very good chance that it might ragdoll you underwater. Dang. Once you're under, uh, the idea, like on a perfect landing, is you kind of just like slowly resurface upright. You know what I mean? And then sometimes what happens is because there's you know currents and stuff like that under the water, it'll it'll grab you, it'll grab your paddle weird or whatever, and it might twist you up, mm. and so you might pop right. up upside down and then roll up. Uh, perf- and and that comes back to your previous statement, Corey, like before you go off the 80 foot waterfall, we're going to teach you how to roll so that you can roll your up, your kayak upright. And you, you don't need to pull that, uh, <laughs> the pull, the pull tab in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Oh shoot. That is gnarly. Yeah. Um, I'm always so fascinated I mean, too by extreme athletes explain it like, yeah, you know, no big deal. Just go over an 80 foot waterfall and <laughs> Oh, it's so amazing. It's not that yeah, high. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> it's like eight, ten stories. I don't know how many. That's like eight stories, right? Eight or yeah. More than that. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. but I mean, like I imagine Kai Lenny's explaining like, you know, catching or Laird Hamilton or any of those guys like catching a big wave. They're like, yeah, you know, you kind of drop in and you just ride it out and, and then you're done. Like, I don't, I, like, I don't know, but I think everybody, when you break it down, it's, you know, it's a lot more of the fear than, than in like actual activity in a lot of ways. Like it's, you're kind of like, you're just, you're along for the ride for a lot of it. And, and, uh, the, the fear almost is what like is way more intense than the actual activity in, in probably most scenarios and in most things in life. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. That's true. No, I think you're right. I think it's the stories we tell ourselves and we can just dwell on that, all the wrong possibilities. And that's, that's where we get caught up and stuck sometimes. Mm -hmm. So is, uh, uh, waterfalls obviously is an extreme feature. Um, but I would imagine, um, like actual, um, volume of water or flow rate is what that, Hmm. Is there some intent? Because I've had a, a pretty gnarly experience. I haven't been on the water since um, first time I ever came to Montana. I went down the the um, on the Three Forks. The it was called the kitchen sink, and we had it was it was just it was terrifying. In other words, but it, it, a lot of it had to do with we were in a boat that was overweighted. Um, it was like record flow rate with water early in the season, class four rapids. Um, does that become more challenging than like your waterfalls and that type of water? What? Wait, 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 what? wait, <laughs> Corey, remind him that you and Kayla were on the boat and they can't see. So that's, you know what I mean? They're just hearing this roar of a train of water as yeah. they're going down. He should finish that story because he gets into a gnarly situation where the, where the whole thing flips over yeah, and everybody ca- goes out and they're still, or it flips, you're still on it. Yeah, but. I kind of briefed over it, but basically long story short, uh, first time coming to Montana, <laughs> my in-laws took me out down the three forks, Bear Trap Canyon. Um, 
And mind you, they took me out the day before on a really like class two. Oh, this is fun. Like, yeah, do you want to go down to the gorge? And I'm like, okay, that, that let's do it. So that's down in, um, in great falls. Well, we, we get on the boat. I think there was, uh, you know, like your, your typical river boat, like the big ones, the rafts, uh, the self bailing raft, yeah, 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 like an inflatable, yeah. right? It's exactly. Yeah. Um, self bailing, like a badass one though. And, but we all didn't have our paddles, just the center, uh, the guy in the center that's paddling captain or whatever, um, loaded yeah, up. Row, it's a row rig. There you go. So we're, we're loaded up yeah. in that. My wife is totally blind as well. Uh, we take off on, down the river. Uh, we went through the first set of ra- like few rapids and I can tell just with my background with like, just, I don't know, physics and, and, and off-roading and snowboarding and all that stuff. I was like, man, this, he feels like he has no control of this boat at all. Like none. And, um, we get to the kitchen sink, which is, that's what everybody's been talking about this whole trip that we were coming. We had to get through this, you know, class four and they peel out, uh, and hike up and, and go look at it. Well, you can hear it from a mile away. This thing's just like roaring. It sounds like a freight yeah. train. And I'm just like, at this point, I'm, bl- you know, blind sitting in the boat, have no paddle. <laughs> I can already tell that he's had, uh, had a really hard time keeping this boat under control. So anyways, we load back up on the boat, push off. And, um, it, from my understanding, it's kind of like three giant rocks that the, you know, size of school buses and, and the waterfall feeds through, think of a triangle. So you have two big rocks and, and you kind of go down this, this waterfall. Well, as soon as we get into like, as soon as we're coming up to it, he starts trying to like backstroke or do whatever to line it up. The boat spins sideways. We end up going down the waterfall sideways and uh, immediately dump two people uh, off the back. And one of the individuals got pinned between the boat and the rock, like, and the waterfall was coming over his head. Like, so basically, he was pinned between the boat and the rock, arms below him. And Kayla and I are sitting on, like, we're basically high sided on this rock, um, stuck in this this section. And, uh, it was one of the gnarliest, scariest things I've ever witnessed, like someone drowning because the, I, I was just trying to stay in the boat and not move because I knew that the safest place for myself and my wife was just to stay in the boat, no matter what. Well, Doug, the guy that was rowing, he goes back to pull the gentleman out. And every time he went back, he was on the soft bottom of the raft. So he'd be standing on his chest and the guy would freak out. So this happens like three or four times. And finally I'm like, okay, if something doesn't happen right now, if I don't get up and try to help, like this guy's going to drown. So I kind of basically get on the side of the the raft, like I'm getting on a bull, like ready to ride a freaking like in a rodeo. And, uh, I'm, I freaking grab the, the line, like the safety rope around the side and kind of just basically like same way you'd get on a bowl. Like I wrapped my left wrist and then just deadlifted with my right leg. And it was enough to push the boat off the front and the, the water kind of slid the rest of the boat off, which was great. Cause the guy came unpinned, but now it's just my, my wife and I, both of us blind and we're the only ones in the boat going freaking down like class three, class fours. Um, so yeah. like a movie. It, it was, wow. It was like, so, it was terrifying. Like I re- literally remember telling my wife, like just, I slammed her to the bottom of the boat. I was like, get as low as possible. Like your cheek literally like get that center of gravity 
and that weight as low as possible. Um, what ended up saving us is Doug managed to, he was holding the, the safety like trailing rope and mm-hmm. instead of going around the next feature that you're obviously supposed to go around, it's a rock. We went right over the rock and I felt the boat literally fold in half. Um, but I think what happened is Doug was trailing behind it, holding the rope. So it, 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 made it to where the boat didn't basically flip because he held like once it folded in half on that rock, the back of it was, he was pulling the back down with the rope. Well, anyways, he freaking like, we ended up making it through this section. I thought I was going to die. And then all of a sudden we hear him like kind of pulling himself on the, up onto the boat, like, and then, and, uh, gets up on the boat. We pull out into this and we're in a gorge. That was the worst part. So we finally, you know, we get the boat pulled off into this little Yeti and everybody's like half the, Half the people are crying. Half the people are just like <laughs> totally shocked because it's their first time on the river. It's not like we were out with a bunch of experienced, you know, individuals other than the the guy that was paddling. But anyways, that was my uh, first and only time on the Montana waters. I have yet to to get on. The, <laughs> yeah, it sounds on the river. Sounds that normal? Is that normal rafting, Nick? <laughs> well, it sounds a little intense, and uh, it sounds like some unlucky scenarios. <laughs> Um, and to clarify, cause I hear this all the time and maybe it happens more in rafting. I don't know, but where people, you know, whitewater can be scary, especially yeah. when you don't know how to read the rapids yeah. and you don't know how to read the currents and you don't know what's going on. It's like mm. when someone, but like it happens all the time where, you know, somebody is like, Hey, you know, I'm going to take you whitewater kayak and this is going to be super fun. Or I'm going to take you I'm like take whitewater you snowboarding rafting. here. I'm going to take you to the top to the, the yeah. blue diamond, your first it's run. Like someone, exactly. <laughs> like, Hey, have you ever gone snowboarding before here? We're going to go heli heli boarding off some super <laughs> steep cliffs down in nowhere, Alaska. It's super cool. You're going to have a blast. You've never done it before. Oh, it'll be cool. It'll be cool. You'll love it. Um, just do what I do. Yeah, and and you just you get into a really bad yeah. scenario, and so, right. you know, I I that's like one of my kind of like a, a pet peeve of kayaking, where where I hear too many people that are just like now terrified yeah. of the river because right. they had a really bad experience where they thought you know. I was going to drown. And it's like, well, sometimes, you know, it is true. Like maybe they were in that scenario. Sometimes it's just that fear kicking in where they're like, that was really scary. Therefore I almost drowned and I'm never going back to the river ever again. And those ones, those are the experiences where I'm just like, I mean, all of those, I guess, but, um, where I'm like, oh, it's, it's so avoidable by just like taking your friends in like in, in scenarios that are not life-threatening and that are that are like fun it's like taking your you want to take a buddy and learn how to ski or snowboard you either take them on like the bunny hill or on like some blue circles or maybe a brown or a a green circles or maybe a blue square or you do like a, a couple of ski lessons with them or snowboard lessons right you don't just take them to the back country and be like watch out for avalanches here we go because no, um, nobody's even like they don't understand what you're even talking about and so it's the same with the river too often people just like take them yeah. in the back country or take them wherever and it's like hey maybe we need to explain how the river works or explain how to read whitewater or whatever but I imagine you know, Corey, you being blind and not seeing 
elevates all of that fear and then being in a canyon. So one, what you said, like high, high volume rivers and and high water rivers, they're loud and they are intimidating, you know, it was gnarly all the time, but you, you put that in a canyon and it like echoes it and it like, you know, makes it sound even more terrifying. Uh, I can't even imagine like, running some of that stuff with just my eyes closed. So I, I, yeah, it, I imagine it, it that, that it would have been and straight terrifying. my background, yeah. just understanding like, oh, we're in a bad situation. Like I'm thinking this in my head, like yeah. the boat is yeah. overloaded. Uh, I can tell yeah. they're not doing this in a pursuit of sport. It's like, Hey, let's drink some beer and go fishing and go down a class four rapids. Um, not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Corey and I don't raft a lot. This is a side note. But, but with yeah. that said, yeah, no, but, so, but I like what you said, Nick, because you're like, I even, I didn't even know you could actually read a river to the point that you can understand what's kind of happening. Maybe even underneath, like I had no idea. So, yeah, you know, yeah. like you said, some of that background makes a huge difference in your, in your, in the outcome. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like looking at, uh, like a sheet of music. Some people look at it and there's a whole bunch of lines and dots and other people can read full, read what the song is, right? And it's the same with with a lot of things, but definitely with the river, where if you yeah. learn to understand what the currents are telling you in, in the sense of like, you know, these waves form because of this yeah. scenario or these mm. holes form because of this scenario, it, it, it literally will tell you or at least give you a very good, you know, a decent idea of like what's underneath and what, uh, what would happen if you went there versus there versus there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I imagine again, it's probably similar with, I'm not an expert skier or snowboard. I love skiing and snowboarding, but you put me in the back country and I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly when an avalanche is going to go or why it's going to go or when it's going to go. But you, but there are skiers and snowboarders that know that because they're way more versed in, in reading the conditions. Um, I think it takes years and, and maybe even the locality of them just, you know, growing up there to a degree. At minimum, just practice like looking at these different scenarios, right. And, and conditions. And over time you start being like, okay. Right. And then even beyond that avalanche training and there's a, you know, actual formal training in and outbound or, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Back country. Uh, one thing. So are you familiar with Eric Weinheimer? I am. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Do you, are you familiar with his? Uh, uh, like I, I've met him. I've met him before. He He's actually come and paddled here up on the Ottawa river. It's not. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you're, so you're familiar with him doing the run down the grand Canyon with, uh, yeah. Uh, now I'm blanking on his name, his partner, his guide partner. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, uh, with Paradox, I'm Mike. also now blanking. It's, <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I know you're thinking of two and I can't, the name is blanking me too. Anyways, that's like, I no, no. I'm, yeah, I know it's all every, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue right now. Cause he's a world renowned, uh, Mountaineer yeah. and Timothy. Something is it, is it? Is there a Timothy in there? No. Tim, uh, Timmy O'Neill. No, I think Tim, Tim took. Uh, Timmy O'Neill, O'Neill took them, but he wasn't one of the kayakers. Uh, I'm. I'm looking okay. it up. Give me one second. It is. Um, Lonnie. Yeah, Lonnie. Lonnie Bedwell. So we got to. Yeah, we got to yes. give him credit. So what they did. Yeah. Um. I mean, they trained a couple of years to prepare for it, but I think they did the whole 200 and plus miles down the Grand Canyon. Um, Man. which for those that don't know who we're talking about eric weinheimer's totally blind uh also i think the only 
individual, blind individual who also has summited Mount Everest about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but very accomplished, not only in mountaineering, but a climber too. I know when Mike and I were climbing up in Yosemite mm-hmm. with Paradox Sports, we, we were climbing and, and uh, uh, Matt Robertson, our lead climber that we did a multi-pitch with, you know, when we were done, he's like, you know, Corey, you, you can lead climb. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I can lead climb. I thought he was seriously crazy. And he's like, no, I, you know, Eric, I've worked with Eric before, which I had you know, I was already familiar with Eric. I've looked up to him since, you know, first going blind and just what he's accomplished as a, as an adaptive athlete is just incredible. Um, but just, yeah, like that blows my mind. Like going, going down uh, class three, class four with a guide behind you, um, using a two-way radio system. I developed or did that in snowboarding when I rode for the U S national team, like hopes of going to the, the Paralympics in Sochi in 2014. That was the exact system that we developed snowboarding. Yep. Um, but the thing with snowboarding, it's like you're the, the train is somewhat, well, it's more predictable. Let's just put it that way. Where going back to that, yeah. the reactive, like I know how much snowboarding, how much I'd react and just focus on what my, my guide was calling. I can't even imagine, um, doing what they did. It's just so impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had some friends and, uh, actually I think it was my brother-in-law and my father-in-law took Lonnie down the Zambezi river over in Africa as well with that same system with the two-way radio. And it's, it's intense. My, uh, my father-in-law and brother-in-law, um, they were practicing it beforehand with just each other, like, you know, blindfolding each other and trying to give directions. And it's, I mean, they were just blown away. They're like, this is so challenging. I can't even believe that these guys are doing this. Like it, um, and so, yeah, full, definitely huge props to Eric and to Lonnie, yeah. um, for the Grand Canyon, for, for Lonnie doing the, uh, the Zambezi. I mean, for all of you guys, I mean, I, it just, and actually like, maybe I'm just going to hijack your podcast for a second and ask you some <laughs> questions, Corey, how, how, sure. how is it? Um, do you find any of your other senses are more heightened when you take the, the sight away? Like, do you find like your hearing and your touch or like that? Uh, I don't know. You like, do you get any like sixth sense of like, um, yeah. intuition or anything like that? When you, when you remove one of those senses, especially because sight is such a, a dominating, you know, sense for us right now. Um, so, like, I think it's, I think our eyes, you know, take up something like 80% of our cognitive brain power is, is like, put on site. So I, I wonder if, if you were to take sight away and put that brain power into a different sensory perception or, um, like, do, I, I don't know, it's, it's very intriguing to me. So yeah. Do, are, are your other senses heightened then? Yeah. So t- there's two parts to that. Um, I'll give you the nerdy answer. Um, so I ran across this book just by coincidence years ago on the neuroscience of blind individuals. And it was really interesting because when I first went blind, uh, my wife went blind at four. When I met her, she, she already had it all figured out. Like she was in college working on her master's degree. Like, uh, sounds like my wife too. Right. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out, <laughs> but yeah. I remember listening to her working on her computer 
and listening to the screen reader and I couldn't understand a word it was saying. It was literally just like blah, 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 blah. And I had no idea. Well, anyways, a few years later, uh, probably five years later, I come across this book when I got into all the biohacking and neuroscience and, and basically like I'm reading this section and it talks about when blind, it, it doesn't matter if you're born blind or you go blind later in life, the, the, the brain will basically compensate for that. So to answer your question about like, are your senses heightened? Yes. And, and especially your hearing because they, they say that blind people can process around 80 syllables per second or an average individual with all their senses can process about five to 10 syllables per second. So there was literally, I did not have the ability and I could not understand what I was hearing. Now, fast forward 10 years, I listen to my screen reader faster than she does. I listen to it at 95%. So my ability to process auditory information has absolutely gotten better. And, you know, you can get really like the neuroscience of that as far as the cross, you know, neuro, new neuro pathways being rewired from your, your visual cortex into your hearing. So to, so to give you an example, 80% of, of information that's processed by the brain is visual. So if you take that away, that 80% yeah. has to be made up through your other senses. Now I found that mm. hearing is by far the, obviously the most powerful sense that compensates for that. And because now I have to use hearing in a different way. So where you can calibrate distance by sight, now I'm starting to calibrate distance by hearing. So it doesn't matter if I'm in, if I walk into the recovery den here at work, um, I can hear my acoustics bouncing off the wall or even any room for that matter. Mm. I can hear if it's a vaulted ceiling. I can hear if it's a flat ceiling. I can hear if it's high. I can hear if it's hardwood floors. Talking with individuals, I can hear uh, inflections. I can pick up uh, ticks, nervous habits, breathing patterns where, you know, like if you are interacting with them, you pick up those th- visual, um, like on the face, yeah. facial expressions. So, yeah. and then from like the, the per my personal experience outside of like the neuroscience stuff and just what I've read and, and personal experience, like my, um, into like my intuitive sense, um, just being in someone's presence. Yeah, I think your intuit- intuition. Yeah, like yeah. my emotional intelligence, I guess you would say, like just the ability to tap into people and, and really get a sense of their emotions, where they're at. Um, I think it all... Their energy. Yeah, yeah, their energy, and exactly. Um, and it helps, like, I think with being a massage therapist um, and doing that for you know, 10 years now, too, it's also helped. So, yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, Definitely, my senses have, have compensated, and and you learn how to use the ones much better. Or I guess like you kind of turn them into super senses because you rely so heavily yeah. on the other ones or the ones you lost, or what I should say that when you lose your yeah. sight, you, no, you they, rely on the they, others. Nick, there's been a there's been a couple times where Corey's we're having a conversation with somebody and he'll be like and they'll walk away and be like wow that person's got a really nice smile and I'm like wait what and he's like he can and and they do like that person will smile more than the average person and he can read read the smile on their face and I'm like okay yeah he feels that and I'm like and we all stuff like that happens all the time you guys like, both have the ability it's just it's crazy it's, it's training I mean it comes back to just yeah. Um, you develop the awareness. Yeah. 
Uh-oh. Oh, did I lose oh, you, Corey? No, no, I'm here. I, oh, I thought I, I you lost now. you guys. Did we lose Mike? Oh. The brain is just so oh, powerful. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, And again, like back to our, you know, talking about the the subconscious mind and flow state and all that stuff. Like I geek out about it because I, from all my studies and everything, you know, and and just personal experiences, like I feel like the human race as as a whole, that we use a minimal amount of our like brain capacity yeah. or at least like the way that we're currently using them, like we're, we're way more powerful than we can even imagine. And and that's like just a perfect example of like, it's true. If trained, you know, your hearing can be this incredible tool that most mm-hmm. of us don't use or, or under, uh, utilize yeah. due to the fact that we rely on our site for so much, uh, information absorption. Um, mm-hmm. but if trained to use hearing instead, you know, it's equally as powerful or, or maybe in some cases even, you know, more powerful. Um, so just different things. And yeah, I'm always trying to like figure out how to, you know, increase the capabilities of, of the human body. And, and I just think our minds and our bodies are, are powerful beyond imagination. So with that said, um, it's weird that you, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, by by the way, just, I want to, I wanted to add one thing for, I don't know much about, um, your, your listener base, but for anybody out there that, um, that, you know, isn't blind or, or that has sight or whatever. And even if you are blind, also a great resource. I just saw, I think it's this series by National Geographic called Welcome to Earth. I think it is uh, with Will Smith um, on Disney Plus. And there's a, there's a, oh. I think the whole very first episode is with Eric. Yep. Uh, and they oh, talk, yeah. they talk all about, um, about the power of, of hearing things and, and just anyway, it's very, it's an, a great series. And that, uh, episode just to further on this conversation, uh, right. is, is a fun watch for me and, and to listen and to, to learn. Um, so yeah, anybody j- just a little, uh, drop in, go check out that. That's right. That we got to check that out. Cause as well. Mike and I were trying to get Eric on the podcast and yeah. that was what his assistant got back with us that he was currently filming that series with Will Smith and that we, uh, Mm-hmm. We'd have to follow up with him. Yeah, he's actually he's on a couple of, a couple of the episodes, but that first whole episode is all on all on sound and hearing, and it's really mm. intriguing. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Mike, did you have a question? Oh, you know, well, he's referred to music a couple times, yeah. and I didn't know if you knew this, but I, my my trade is twenty years as a composer for television, and it's Very interesting cool. because. I have to, you know, we're talking about flow state. Now, when I'm writing music, I'm not going in over an 80-foot waterfall, so I don't have that fear. <laughs> but I have to um, I have to turn a piece of music in every week, regardless of how I feel, whether I have writer's block, mm-hmm. what's happening that day. And so there is a point at which you just say, okay, well, this is due, and so I'm just going to go in and do it. And so there is that point where you where you reach that flow state and people talk about, well, there's writer block is a real thing. It's true. You can just all of a sudden you can't think of anything. It's like, I've had to write music for 20 years and I can't have writer's block. So there is a point at which you just jump in and you figure it out. And I think that's what you, you know, there's that point where you're, you're thinking about it, thinking about it, and then you just shut it off and you go to work it's not high speed, but the creative process just has to enter your mind and it has to go. Totally. That That's a great so example, Mike, uh, of the, uh, how 
know, you can achieve flow in anything you do. And there's like the highly transferable Mm. skills, whether it's like, but I mean, you just explained it. Like you, you could sit there and go, Oh man, I got two pieces of music that I got to write this week. And, but once you get into it, all of a sudden all your skill set and your, you know, your experience, you just go right into it and you, you, you get it done. You're not, my, you're not sitting there stressing my about subconscious how to get it done. Like, you better get it done. Subconscious <laughs> <laughs> totally. yeah. ride me. I, I imagine again, as a, as a non-composer, uh, I'm imagining how this would work. And it's that writer's block is probably more that conscious mind thinking like, mm-hmm. I can't think of the right things to be writing down. Whereas like, once you just like, go into it and start just going and that subconscious mind kicks in and it's just like, well, we're going to just rely on the years and of experience and just write down the right things, um, or the right notes or, or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, we, we keep kind of going in these, in these loops of, of the conscious mind, <laughs> yeah. subconscious mind flow state. It's, it's, uh, it's a really fun, I don't know, way to kind of think of life sometimes of, yeah, just how powerful the mind and the body truly are. So, with that said, do you can you use tell us any yeah. like how do you approach your training, your cross training? Um, do you do you have that in mind? Do you do you uh, as far as um, basically using different training modalities to further enhance um, and not looking at it from just like okay, I need to I need to build up my strength. Like, are you into the the mindful? Like mindset pra- practices yeah. and cold exposure <laughs> and heat and breath work and, and so sort of the things that facilitate that mess that around with deeper, um, the deeper work. In other words, I would probably say yes to all of that, Corey. So again, I'm mm. pretty open minded, um, and therefore I'm pretty open to try things because I'm also continually trying to improve. Yeah, right. Um, and so I know if that I just do what I've always done, I'm probably going to get the results that I've always had, right. that I've got to try something new to grow, right? And 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 the growth True. is where um, where it leads to success and, and the furthering, whether that be, you know, mindfulness, whether it be spiritual, yeah. whether it be physical, whether it be uh, in competition, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so many different ways that you could... That you could um, uh, determine success as a whole. But as far as uh, training goes, um, yeah, I've kind of dabbled at least, I would say I've at least dabbled in, in kind of all of those different things. I really enjoy, uh, cold therapy and, and ice baths and stuff. Uh, I probably don't do it as much as I should. Um, I'll substitute it with cold showers sometimes, but when we're, when we're living on the road in the trailer, um, the cold showers are harder to come by, but <laughs> luckily when we're out in like Colorado and places, uh, you can just go and use the river as, as a substitute. Those, uh, the snow melt rivers. Um, um, I definitely, you know, a weight train a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, do that more in the winter time when I'm at home and I've got weights. Um, I bring a battle rope with me, which is like a really thick rope that you kind of swing around in different movements, um, mm-hmm. mainly for shoulder strength and a lot of the like micro, like the smaller muscles that are around my shoulders. Absolutely. That's like in the sport of kayaking, shoulder injury is like one of the more common ones. Like it's, I actually find kayaking fairly forgiving, especially in compared to most extreme sports that like, cause it's water that you're dealing with. It's like very forgiving for the most part. There are rocks in some scenarios that you can hit. Um, 
but it's like the the injury curve is pretty flat and then it gets really steep at the end so like um but yeah i mean it's like nothing 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 you know possible shoulder injury possible head injury broken back death like that's that's kind of like the the curve of like injuries where (laughs) but for the most part like it's really nothing like it's pretty really forgiving for a lot of it um in the sense that like you flip over and you roll back up where like even in snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever like you catch an edge you're gonna hit hard right uh you don't have that so much in kayaking so I personally believe it's it's quite forgiving. Well, you or know, mountain biking. I was just Man, thinking about like what's nice about no, those guys kayaking too. <laughs> like shoulder stability is. Um, that, I was thinking that it's got to be probably that strong posterior chain, but especially strong, stable shoulders. But rowing is like the best thing you can do for <laughs> shoulder stability. Um, so that's yeah, that's the one nice thing about your mm. sport. Um, is uh. You, you, you are getting a lot just from your sport itself as far as fitness um, goes. And, and to add, to add to that, I I would totally agree with everything you're saying there, Corey, that one of the absolute best ways to train is just to do the sport. My brother-in-law, the one that Mm. Dane, he's, I mean, however many world champion titles he trains, he does some weights again in the wintertime, like when he's home, but he, He's just on the water. He trains minimal in that regard, but he's on the water probably more than anybody I know and is just like physically doing the activity yeah. more than like anybody I know. And so that's the training that he does is just doing the sport. You know what I mean? And so I think almost mm-hmm. in every aspect that doing the activity is arguably the best way to train. Yeah. Um, back to your like idea of other training methods or other like types of training that I do. Um, I, I enjoy running. So I like, I'll, trail run or um i've got like a four mile loop that i run when i'm at home we're on the road like six to ten months out of the year every year so home is like usually like between the holidays like thanksgiving to new year's um and um what are some other training things Uh, you know honestly it's not a training thing but it probably falls more into the mindfulness I, i do yoga i definitely do yoga which i think is great for stretching i think um it's that whole Zen mentality sure. helps a lot of just like calming the mind, especially being calm mm-hmm. under pressure or under stress or under stress. Sorry. Um, so definitely I, I like yoga a lot. Something I started, I don't really know exactly kind of how or why, but during COVID uh, I started running more just to, I don't know, avoid being stressed out about the whole idea of COVID or anything like that. So I would just like run and part of my running every morning, I would start it off with, um, 15 minutes of gratitude practice. Love that. And so I would yeah. just, the first 15 minutes I would nice. walk and I would just think of all the things that I'm grateful for this morning. Um, awesome. and that's, so that kind of falls again into that, like mindfulness training or practice or whatever. Um, and, it just, it brightened my day. Do you know what I mean? It brightened yeah. my, my year, my life, everything. And so not that that stuff really has to do with uh, competition sports so much, but at the same point, I mean, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it absolutely does. I, I, it probably fact. does. Yeah. yeah. Because like yeah. going, I was just at the world championships. Um, and I didn't have my, my best performance. Um, I think I was like 20th or 19th or whatever. Um, but you could just tell, you know, the athletes, and I saw this in finals too, where there was like two athletes in particular that were leading the entire event. Um, 
and uh, but but previously in other past events they've had um they've choked like in, in the finals and so i was like interesting i'm i'm quite intrigued to see what's about to happen here yeah. um cuz they were the two athletes that had the previous highest scoring rides throughout the entire event and i was like i wonder if these guys are going to be able through. to pull it together yeah. like if they've been practicing that or if they're going to choke mm. and unfortunately um Neither one of them had the ride that they were looking for. And then on top of that, my, my brother-in-law had a phenomenal ride. And, uh, and so he, he took the title. Um, and and wow. it goes back to like, he's been training and has more competition time under his belt than anybody that I know. Yeah. Um, and so it, it goes back to the fact that, you know, like actually training for the event helps, but, but also being um, comfortable in those scenarios, whether it be a high stress or, or high pressure scenario, or whether it be like just very comfortable in a competition, um, scenario or whatever it is. Like we, one of the kids camps that, that I'll, that I'll teach here up in the Ottawa actually called the Keener program. They, we practice every Friday, we do a competition day. And part of that is to teach the kids like how to compete, how to put a ride together, how the whole judging and scoring system works. But also it just gets them used to actually competing. Yeah. Like if you mm-hmm. never ever compete, any competition you go to is going to be really stressful because you're like, oh man, I've got to do that one ride on the time where if you do like mock competitions every day, yeah. then it just becomes another ride in another competition that you've done a million times. Um, so all of that, I don't know that there's a lot of different training things that go into, uh, I guess what you, what I do for training, but, uh, I kind of dabble in a little bit of them or in, in all of them, I guess a little bit. Um, and there seems I do, to be I've done some breath work stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, I was going to say that there seems to be a common thread with, you know, we've had former or we've had world champions on in other sports and we've, we've talked to coaches that have, you know, trained or coached elite athletes. And, um, you know, there's a reason why we, our mission statement is not sport performance for mountain athletes. It's human performance for mountain athletes, because in, you know, my experience, the last, you know, as a, a former competitive athlete, and then also being very passionate about growth um, and understanding that human performance is, it's not just about strength conditioning. It's not just about nutrition. Um, right. And you start to learn that yeah. the deeper work um, around mindset um, and, and basically there's a, there's a, all those different practices that really complement each other. And you have to have, balance within all those it's not you can't go too hard in one because it, it doesn't it doesn't work out um and yeah it, the, the term mindset that you have there is so powerful because it's it's people think of mindset usually as like that competition like edge yes. as like oh i'm mentally strong in competition but it's so much more than that when you really were to break it down and it's it's a combination of that of that like strong um mental clarity and mental strength in competition or or in times of uh stress or pressure yep. but it's also like the ability to grow and to learn i i have a saying that i'm not sure if i if I shared it with you guys when we were hanging out in Vail together, but um, that I either win or I learn. I, I try not to ever say that I lose. Mm, I love that. And and part of that is because through through you know a scenario when you lose, that's the best opportunity to learn. Like those are the ones where you should really be analyzing what went wrong, what could I have done better, what could I, uh, where could I improve. 
uh, it's really just like this perfect opportunity for analysis and to really figure out like, how can I learn to be better because of this so-called loss? Yeah. Whereas like it, in winning, rarely do we ever, and myself, if I fall into this trap as well, rarely do we analyze a win the same way because you just, you, you kind of like lean on your laurels a little bit and you're like, yeah, I won because you know, I've got the skills or I've got the training <laughs> or I've got the practice or whatever. You never, you never really like analyze your wins and you're like, how mm. lucky did I get with the judges right. or how lucky did I get with the timing or the weather or whatever? Like when you lose, it's so often that we're like, oh, I can't believe the judges gave them this or gave them that. I can't believe they didn't give me this yep. or that. But like in the flip side too, you never really you never think that way when you're the winner. You never be like, oh, well, the guy that got second place, he got super unlucky with some call and I got super lucky and therefore I won. You just like, you you assume like, oh, I won because I'm better. Yeah. Or, or like, I, I won because I, I trained harder or I put in more practice or whatever. It's um, so interesting, right? So that's, that's the other part. Like, I try to, I try to remember that when I win, I'm not that great. And when I lose... I'm not that bad. Do you know what I mean? And and to, to try to that. remember to uh, to learn from both of them, um, but definitely learn from from any any opportunities of loss because that's like the greatest teacher because it lets you know all all your weaknesses that you can improve on. Yeah. So with well, go ahead. And, and you also last thing is you talked about uh, we talked about balance and you're doing some yoga and it was the first time that we saw we have a. a friend of ours, Mark Devine, who's one of Corey's coaches and SEAL fit. He's a retired Navy SEAL commander. And, and I saw them all doing yoga in a room and I, and I realized Navy SEALs do yoga. It's like, I, you know, we're, our culture is so driven on performance and everybody's just <laughs> driven for high performance, but you don't want your nervous system constantly jacked yeah. all the time. You know, we work, you know, we, and through their breath work stuff with firefighters, it's like they have to, their their nervous systems jacked a lot because mm-hmm. of all the things that they have to do. And so you, you have to do the balance of the yoga and the things that actually take the nervous system in the opposite direction to balance out that that constant adrenaline. I think there's a there's a, a very fine balance there that I think you're right that 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 has to be part of your life. Yeah, it it, it balances like you know, the mind and the body, but it also helps prepare you for those Mm. scenarios better. Like the breath work alone, you know what I mean? Like if you can, if you can realize in a calm scenario, how to breathe and calm yourself down or in a, in a calm scenario, how to breathe and make yourself more relaxed, then you can learn that technique and take it to a stressful or, uh, or an an anxiety filled scenario and use that same breath work Then to relax mm-hmm. yourself and be like, okay, everything's okay. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, we're either going to make ourselves through this, uh, work, work through it or like, yeah, I don't know. There's just so much that you can, you can do with, and it takes within time. the mind, within breathing, with all that stuff. Yeah. Right. It takes it's time. Like anything. It's a practice. Yep, you know it's what a mean? practice. Yeah. And I yeah, think we're willing to do it as you're talking about your journey over the years as an athlete and, and your personal growth, like same thing with me. That's my experience. It's like, I would you know, right now I say that at breath and nutrition are, are foundation. Um, and they would probably after that would be sleep. And if you would ask me that 10 years yeah. ago, it would have been like, Oh, strength conditioning. Right. Um, and then maybe nutrition, but it's, I never would have understood how powerful breath is as it relates to, um, performance. Um, 
because of the ability to modulate the nervous system, but you don't understand like how important, you know, the, the nervous system is and, and the states it's in as it relates to training until you've put the work in it and, and you start to develop that uh, awareness. Um, and that's one reason why I love yoga. Uh, you mentioned yoga. I think the biggest thing that yoga does is it really starts to develop awareness because there's a lot of people that have no awareness of their body. Like I know that as a massage therapist, I'll start working on someone. I'm like, Ooh, is this your lower back bothering you right here? They're like, uh, Oh yeah. Now that you actually say it kind of, and it's like, and I'm sitting there feeling this big old fascial adhesion that's, you know, totally causing uh, uh, an imbalance in their, in their system. Um, but people just don't have the awareness. So mm. I love it. Yeah. This is good stuff. I think, I, I was just going to say, I think too, like back in the day, you know, people would watch uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger lifting weights and like, down. okay, that's an athlete. That's what we need to do. We need to lift weights and that makes you strong and that makes you an athlete. When And you know, yoga has been around for thousands of years or whatever, but nobody looks at, at the yogas back in the day and they're like, oh, well, that's an athlete. That's what I need right. to be doing. But, but through time... It has become more mainstream. Like Laird Hamilton definitely helped kind of, you yep. know, pro- mm. proclaim that. Uh, um, Wim Hof talks a lot about that. And, and just now it's like becoming more mainstream, that whole Zen mentality. Uh, there's another book of of just uh, as far as competition mindset for anybody out there that, that's interested. It's called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. And it's, it's again, that same kind of like Zen mentality towards competition. Um, mm. Phenomenal book. Um, but it's a lot of that. It's like whether it be yoga, whether it be mindfulness, whether it be gratitude practice, whether it just be breathing to calm your, your nervous system or whatever, like all of that something that, that I've realized in, you know, whatever it is, the almost two decades of, of competing and paddling and just living is everything relates to everything. Yeah. There's so much that I've learned over the years that like has to do with competition, mm. has to do with parenting, has yeah. to do with business. Has, it, the, <laughs> right. They all, it right. all relates to everything. It, they're it all, all the same. It's all yeah. one life that we live. And, um, and it start, as soon as you start to realize that, Yoga helps make you more calm, um, whether it be in your relationships, whether it be uh, in in your work environment, whether it be in competition, then you're like, whoa, that helps in all these fields. Whether it be gratitude practice, it helps in all these fields. Whether it be, you know, uh, getting out and doing physical activity, it helps in all these fields. And Mm -hmm. so whether it be nutrition, it helps in all these fields. Like you start realizing it all has to do with everything. Um, But, but they all have a, have a, have a part and a, a place in life. And, and I think each one of them is important. And, and the more that you practice all of them, the more that you're like, ah, cause that was another thing that over the years, so you know, true. I get super fixated on like one thing, Me like, too. Oh, I've got to do weights or, yeah. Oh, I've got to do running for cardio or, or nutrition or whatever it is. And it's like, no, you've got to do it all. You got to do a little, like, even if it's just yeah, a little totally. bit of everything, you got to, you got to at least try it all and make your own opinion on it. But that's just my opinion. So maybe each person's, you know, a little bit different, but I would encourage everybody to try it all out and see what works for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how you start no, developing I, I that awareness that. of your own self, right? That's that's the, the process. So I love that. It's the road. Well, dude, oh. I think you gave us so much um, just really good, valuable information. 
um, gosh, on training mindset, we talked a little bit of, of, of neuroscience, flow state. Um, it's amazing. Like I, I, it's it's so. I always think. Well, I think Mike and I are learning this. That it's you get you know athletes of your level, and and we think they're going to come on and just you know have this very regiment. Like this is how I strength train. This is my nutrition plan, and it, it's so nice to hear. Um, you know that it's it, you're dabbling on all these different modalities, and and it's lending to where you're at today. So. Uh, thank you for coming on the, the Mountain Wellness Podcast, Nick, and and sharing your personal experience as one of the top kayak freestyle That's kayakers huge. in the yeah. world, and um, and just sharing your personal stuff with us. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Corey, for having me. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's uh, it's a fun conversation. And as someone that just kind of geeks out in all these different things. It's, it's fun to talk with you guys about it and, and share, you know, my thoughts, my opinions, personal experiences. And, and like everything, I'm still, yeah, I'm still growing and, and I've got lots to learn. So I'm, I'm no expert. I'm, uh, I'm still the Padawan, the student and, uh, continually trying to get better. Yeah. Well, no, pl- thanks. Thanks for having me. This is a super fun conversation. Absolutely. And, uh, um, we're in the same boat no pun intended. I know you have a, a seven-year-old. Are you how old? I've got a, he just turned nine. nine. Okay. So my son just turned nine and actually it's been a big week this week. We got, uh, we've been getting some combat rolls out in the river, which is like oh, where he's rolling oh, up rad. out in the current without even like meaning to flip over. So it's been a big week for us here. Uh, very excited for him. Uh, and then my daughter, she's five. She'll be six this, uh, this September. So yep. got some youngsters, uh, and man, the whole parenting, that's a, that's another conversation to be had some other time. Yep. Hold on. It's a a whole other podcast (laughs) and man, I'm so still very much learning in that aspect. Uh, But yeah, fun, fun environment there for sure. Totally. And that's what I was going to say is that Nick and Mike and I all had a great conversation around parenting and and sort of the the challenges that uh, we face as extreme athletes and especially in Nick's case, because it's his livelihood, it's his career. Um, So we would love to have you back on uh, the Mountain Wellness Podcast again to talk about that. Uh, but also to that point, just as you know, I'm also a dad of a seven-year-old and a three-year-old and gosh, that's been like, I've had more growth in the, in the last seven, eight years, um, than I have the, in my entire life. Uh, there's something about parenting that is so rewarding, yeah. but, um, also a chance to, to pay it forward and, and share a lot of these things that we talked about today with our kids and, and hoping that we can empower the next generation. So um, we got to get you back on to talk, yeah. talk more about that, my friend. I'd, I would love to, we'll definitely make it happen. Corey, I, again, I've, I've got a podcast, um, called the art of awesome. And, and we talk a, lo- a lot about a lot of these conversations and I'm going to have to have you and Mike on, on my podcast as well. Um, Let's do it. but, uh, one of, one of the reasons why I even started that podcast was that, you know, if God forbid anything was to ever happen to me, that I could have this resource yeah. and, and library of conversations that I could share with my kids. You know what I mean? Um, we've had that conversation. Yeah. Yep. yeah it is. So, it's a living testimony of like good or bad. This yeah, is what I was totally. doing. Yeah. And 
it's exactly. trying to figure it all out. It's different than a book too. I always tell Mike because our, our kids get to hear, you know, even our great grandkids, great, great grandkids, they get to hear us. It's not like reading a book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so totally. Yeah. They hear it in our voice. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. What we're passionate about. They, they, they all right. Um, how else can they reach you? Yeah, Nick? Is there other, totally. um, so is it Nick Troutman.com? Is that where we, uh, yeah, I think even? it's I think it's actually nicktropemancayak.com. Uh but okay. but probably the easier way would be to um I'm active on Instagram. I'm on all the social medias but probably most active on Instagram which is Nick Troutman Kayak. Troutman is spelled like the fish and then man, so trout man. Um and then if you guys want to check me out on my podcast as well, it's yes. uh, called The Art of Awesome and I definitely look forward to having you guys on there as well and uh yeah, definitely. I'm going to have to come back here and we'll, we'll talk some parenting too, but thank you guys so much for having me. This has been just such a blast and, uh, I love getting to talk with like-minded individuals like you guys. Yeah. Uh, it's been super fun. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Yeah. We love it, man. Yep. Yeah. So glad to share that with you. Right on. Sweet. Thank you, Nick. And, uh, keep spreading that mountain stoke and, uh, we'll catch you soon on the mountain. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, guys, and have a great day. All right. Yep, you too. Thank you, Nick. Cheers. The information provided on the Mountain Wellness Podcast is for educational purposes only and not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult a medical professional or healthcare provider if you're seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 